on the next episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Andrew and Dave talk about intergalactic grooming habits. They talk hair and mold air. Jean-Luc discovers he has a secret admirer on board. New Year's service record backward and forward. Apparently, she's kind of an admirer of yours for some time. We talk about genetic engineering, but in a good way. We're breeding sea turtles down here, man. All this and somehow so much more coming at you right about now. Jamming. Jamming on the one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. The podcast that's not afraid to just keep going and going and going. We oh, never know man. when to quit. Uh, we'll know when to quit when we reach 178, because that's how many episodes there are. Oh, but then we have like 12 more Star Trek franchises. I, I don't know. I, I feel a little empty if we're not watching something that has Jean-Luc in it. By then, we'll probably have three seasons of Picard. We'll see if he can make it another uh, 20 episodes of that bad boy. When you say make it, do you mean be alive for it? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> it's not very nice. No, I mean, if we'll have the energy for it, the energy for it, or even the desire to do it. I don't know. When I get to be his age, I don't know how old Sir Patrick is. Sir Pat's in his 80s, man. Uh, You know what? That's fine. Thanks for everything. I'm just going to sit here and, uh, you know, gum my oatmeal and chill the fuck out. He's a vibrant, vital man still. I don't know if you have you have you enjoyed his um, poetry, his reading of uh, Shakespeare's sonnets. Yeah, absolutely. He's so great. He sits there. I don't know if he's still doing them. I don't know if he made his way through. No, all he's the done. Sonnets. He finished them all. He did them all. He finished them all. He would sit there and have his cocktail for the evening. Yes, as he was doing the sonnet or performing the sonnet, it was so so relaxing. It was very relaxing, and he was doing it in part because of the plague. He was trying to say, "Listen, let's all chill the fuck out and enjoy right. some." Uh, of course, he didn't say it that way. Chill the fuck out. Number one. Number one. <laughs> I, of course, am Ambassador Andrew. Oh. And you'll never guess who's with me in this episode. Whom? It's. You're, you're saying I won't guess? No, I'm saying the listener won't okay, guess. Right, wow, I... that, that, let's try this again. This I know. It's supposed to be a bit. Setting it up and knocking <laughs> it out of the park. It's Commander <laughs> Dave E. Dave. Davey, oh, what a shock. Who expected you to be here? I did. I did. I showed up. It's I, on my. I did as well. It, okay, good. It, it's on my uh, time card before I clock in. It's on it your says, to-do list. It's considered to done at this point. I, I showed up, <laughs> right? Yes. Before we yeah. begin discussing tonight's episode, okay. uh, uh, Unnatural Selection, I have to go back to Schizoid Man for just a second. This has been haunting me. So Hold on, hold on. Do you mean Schizoid Man episode 2.6, the last episode we recorded? That is correct. At some point, okay. Captain Jean-Luc Picard and Chancellor Deanna Troy yep. are looking for the newly possessed data. And Picard reaches over to the wall. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can you say it? You got to say it over, please. There's a flub in it. A flub? What did you I say? say? You say can- uh, canceler. Oh, Instead canceler. Of- okay. Canceler. I'm worried about cancel culture. Um, <laughs> you, you just, okay. So at this yeah. point, at this point, Data, they're figured out something is wrong with Data. They're in the they're in the hallway of the Enterprise. One of the Who's several they? Hallways of the Who's Enterprise. they? Uh, 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 Captain Jean-Luc Picard, you may have heard of him, Mm. and with him is Counselor Deanna Troy, 
And they're looking for data because they figured out something's wrong. And he reaches over. He reaches over to the wall and actually uses that damn directory system. Oh, my first time since encounter at Farpoint. Oh, you're killing me. (laughs) He reaches over and says, computer, where's Lieutenant Commander Data? I had been freaked out about that stupid feature because they had made such a big deal about it in Encounter at Farpoint, only to never use it again. Oh my God. Until just this moment. Of all the things we didn't cover in Schizoid Man, that's the one you're going to bring up in the very first episode, the two-parter encounter at Farpoint, they introduced a lot of tech. Some of it stuck, some of it didn't. And one of these features was this idea that you could just walk up to any of these panels on any hall and go, computer, where the hell is Commander Troy? Or whatever. Or or where is Holodeck 3, right? That's what Riker was trying to find data again. Both times, using this Uh service to find data, you think they would have put like a, you know, one of those uh, Apple AirTags on them or something, just pinged them with their <laughs> iPhone or something. But instead, where's the uh, robot? But it's like, it's, it's basically they invented Siri or Alexa way before. And, and this one's called Magell. It's, it's me, the great bird. Caw, caw. Now listen, this little lady, she's nothing but class. We want to make sure that she's got something to do with the show every episode. <laughs> what do you boys think? Computer voice. Whatever you say, Mr. Roddenberry. Cool, cool. You, you want to put your wife into every single episode of every Star Trek ever made? Every single episode. I'm very concerned that she won't be rich enough. <laughs> Think of the retirement, Mr. Roddenberry. The, the poor yeah. thing, Majel Barrett probably had to like get in a car and go in or a car picked her up or whatever. Right. Now she can be doing this at home. She can be just doing a whole season worth of computer voices. Unfortunately, she's not with us anymore, so she's not doing anything. correct. Suppose before she died they went and recorded like a library of words and expressions and sayings so that she could be they recorded a whole bunch of shit that she could say so they could use her voice in the future on future shows they just recorded like five hours of her going working (laughs) a working b working c working say all the nouns Unnatural selection. Can you give us a, an overview of the episode? And it's like 48 minutes of television. What happens in those 48 minutes? This is a Pulaski heavy episode that everybody was looking forward to. And is once again, our ship, the Enterprise is pulled off course by a distress call. Again, and we're only in seven episodes this season. And it's like the seventh time this has happened, the distress call. I mean, I would just put like, do not disturb, man. I'm trying to get somewhere. I mean, they can never get anywhere on time. Well, where were they going anyways? They're, they're on their way to Star Station India. They get an urgent call from the USS Landry announcing the, the crew of the ship is dying. They blow off the India and find the Landry adrift and the crew... They're dead, man! From old age. That is such a bummer. Even though they were in the prime of their lives. And that one of them is was like... such a bummer. <laughs> your, your narration of my narration, I can't tell what's more boring. Me narrating it or you responding to me. It's Captain Talaka, by the way, who's in charge of uh, the Landry. Captain Talaka. Talaka. He was the captain of the other ship, and he's dead. So they quarantined the <laughs> ship. Yeah, it's Captain of the ship, he's dead, all right? He's dead. The Enterprise quarantines the ship, and they head off to its last stop, ironically named 
The Darwin Genetic Research Station. The old DGR. And guess what? When they get there, they find that the inhabitants of that station are also prematurely aging. No. Yes. The Darwinians are worried about a group of genetically engineered, quote-unquote, children. Hmm. Who've been isolated from everyone else and appear safe. Uh, our Blasi gets, gets it in her head that she wants to examine one of yes. these kids. And it's her decided that head. they can do it safely if they wrap the kid in some kind of saran wrap. They beam the kid over and she wants to get her hands directly on the kid. So she convinces Picard to let her and Data put him and them in a shuttle. As soon as the kid is unwrapped, what happens. Pulaski begins to age rapidly. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? It's the kids! Marty, Marty, something's gotta be done about your kids! <laughs> Lantry, Lantry! Lantry, Lantry, something's gotta be done about your kids! The Enterprise crew finally figures out they can de-age Pulaski and everyone else by running them through the transporter, or as we've called it in the past, rinsing them out. When yes. they're done, they blow up the land tree. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn, man. I got to tell you, the most remarkable thing about this episode okay. is that it was nominated. It was nominated, Dave, for an Emmy for Outstanding Achievement in Hairstyling in a Series. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No. This can't still be an Emmy, can it? It's like, wow, they comb the hell out of her hair. And Pulaski's hair, we have made fun of it before because it's orange. Yeah. And it never looks particularly kempt. There's a, uh, what do you call it, like a perm thing going on in her head. It's an 80s thing that she's got going there. And and when she was Rosalind Chase, Chase, how do you say her last name? Chase. Chase. Rosalind like Chase. Chase Lounge. She didn't have that hairdo. It was a little It was a little flatter. Well, and that's why they never won an Emmy for it. That's funny that it won an Emmy because- It was nominated. It didn't oh, win. Oh, oh, it was oh, nominated. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's funny that it was nominated because there is a hair moment outside of the hair do's themselves- they have to go and find some of her DNA on a hairbrush. So maybe that was right. like heavy in the mind. That was it. Paramount. That was it. They're like, hey, hey, Mr. Roddenberry, what do you think about this one? Should we go for an Emmy? We got the we got the hair. We, we got the Pulaski updo. We got that O'Brien hair, which is really mysterious. I don't know what's going on there. And then we got the. Listen, listen, I have asked Paramount to give us. A million dollars for an ad in Variety. All about the hair. Think about it, though. Craw! You're focused on the wrong hair. This hair could be the the Frakes hair, for for God's sake. Why the hell isn't it nominated every episode? It's hair, man. It's just the weirdest thing. A lot of these nominations happen because somebody's promoting it behind the scenes at the studio. It could be that this episode has makeup effects where you're aging up Pulaski and you're aging up this other character actor who's a scientist on the space station. And so they, they do have some extra hair work there for your consideration. But I think like, if you think about standing achievement in hairstyling, the envelope please think about what's going on TV at this time. It, it was a big hair time. And I, I think if you think about our Reva from a couple episodes back, I was going to say, yeah, it's Reva who deserves oh, that. You think he, those flowing orange locks of his, yeah, that should have got an Emmy right there. But can you imagine the Emmy show? And like they have Twiggy come out. He's like, bigger, bigger, bigger. Oh my God. And now Emmy for outstanding achievement <laughs> in hairstyling. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Please read this, Doc. I don't know how. Twiggy, could you open the envelope? I don't have any limbs. Just imagine if everybody doesn't know who the hell we're talking about and why you should. Uh, and when you're probably doing hard work and having regular jobs and stuff. But for some reason, Andrew and I have glommed on to these two 
idiot characters from the Buck Rogers show. And one of them is this robot that's a little silver dude played by Billy Barty, I think. The voice was Mel Blanc and right. the uh, the recently departed oh, I'm sorry. Felix Silla. Rest his soul. Rest his soul. You okay. Know, bless him. And, you know, Mel Blanc, who's been dead for quite some time. Mel Blanc was the voice of Twiggy. I have no idea who the voice of Theopolis was. It'd be interesting to find out. I do not know, Dave. So Twiggy was this short robot, like an R2-D2 ripoff, but with legs. And then bigger, Theopolis bigger, bigger. was the C-3PO, except instead of being like a gold robot, he was this big old... Uh, he was an amulet. Yeah, he was a he big... Was an, it was like a Flava Flav. Yeah, I mean, Tweaky, Tweaky's like the Flava Flav of, of robots. <laughs> yeah. That's a what big, you're trying to say. A big clock he's wearing on, on, on his chest, so there's a, a very long painted picture for you. I am now exhausted. The Emmy broadcast. Yes. Tweaky. Tweaky. <laughs> yeah, that's all I wanted, that stupid setup for that. The winner is the Sonny and Cher Christmas special. Bigger, bigger, Dr. Theopolis, we don't get anything. <laughs> he does a Kanye. You know, bigger, bigger, bigger. <laughs> this backstage is like, uh, bigger, bigger, bigger. This, <laughs> bigger, bigger, Buck, this shit is rigged. I'm going to let you finish, <laughs> but I have to point out that a natural selection had the most outstanding achievement in hairstyling. Bigger, bigger, bigger. You may remember okay. in the first season of the show, we, we had this penchant if you would, this predilection to return to events that happened in the original series. So, for instance, The Naked Now was a kind of a remake or a next-gen version of The Naked Time from the original series. Episode two, yeah. We had The Big Goodbye, which was a callback to a gangster episode that they had in the original series. This time we we have a direct callback to an episode called The Deadly Years, where Mm. the crew, of course, of of the original Enterprise, NCC-1701, no letter. Yes, Kirk and Company. Also aging rapidly. Right. There's also a very huge parallel being made between Pulaski and McCoy. Pulaski is finally being positioned officially as your McCoy stand-in. Right. right. I agree. I mean, we've seen it so far. I mean, they've definitely alluded to it, but it, it, this is the episode where, where her she really gets her McCoy on. I kind of like Pulaski more in this episode, and, and maybe it was making her more like McCoy, like finally kind of deciding that they were going to go all out McCoy. She was subtler, softer in this one, not as harsh, and they, and they try to do a little character development with her that we we haven't seen. I definitely think the character development helped. This should have been episode 2.1, right? This should have been the first episode of the season, not like the seventh episode of the season. You're trying to establish this new character. You really have allowed her to grate on our nerves for quite some time. (laughs) And now here she comes. She finally gets her spotlight. So she's passionate. She's stubborn. Um, I think some of those qualities came across in the earlier episodes, but you had to be sort of generous because of of the way she interacted with Data. Right. It was kind of obnoxious. I I don't know that I like her any better. I think I understand her better. And again, I'm talking about the character, not about the, the actress at all. But I don't think it works. McCoy needs a Spock to play off of. And Pulaski doesn't have a Spock. Right. Data is not Spock. It's funny that they they keep trying to make this comparison. You don't need it. And for some reason, they're just trying to make it happen. And and I guess one of the things I liked about this episode was she was still insulting Data, but she actually uh, kind of apologizes to him at one point for being too harsh. You know, she 
criticizes him and then feels bad about it later on. And maybe it's different eras and they're still they were they're doing the same thing. Maybe they're using the same formula, but it just doesn't work in the late eighties. The straight up insulting somebody and making yeah. fun of mm-hmm. the, <laughs> their otherness, you know, maybe flew a little bit better in the sixties, but Every time she insults him, I swear Spiner plays it like it hurts his feelings. Right, right. You feel bad for him. And then you think about how this guy's and his positronic brain could like totally <laughs> tear her to pieces. Or Well, yeah. And we talked about that last episode, that, yeah. that data is actually dangerous. And it's like, really? Do you need to keep poking him? Right. And, you know, unlike Spock, who... He has a certain arrogance and and they really right. work this, you know, I am a Vulcan, you know, we're Vulcans. We do Vulcan stuff because I'm a Vulcan. I don't do this. I don't do that. Or I do do this. I, he's sort of obnoxious about asserting that, that Vulcan icity. And mm. then when McCoy says his sort of quasi racist things, you know, yeah. they're kind of pushing back against each other. And, and that sort of works, but data, like you said, he's hurt. I mean, data sort of victimized. Yeah. And ends up getting bullied by Pulaski. And that doesn't seem what you want from a doctor. No, I, I guess it would work if Data, and this isn't in his character, if Data was insulting her sense of humanness. If he was an arrogant android, which, you know, this would have been a different kind of story. But if he was an arrogant android telling everybody how great he was all the time, then I think you would have a different formula. We learn that the McCoy connection, that neither one of them like to use the transporter. Right. And they're, they're smart to sort of make that into a plot point. So she can't, she doesn't use the transporter. Right. So when they're trying to rinse the uh, disease out of her, there's an, an anxiousness about where's her stuff, where's her DNA, whereas we don't have a pattern that we could use to base it on. Okay, so she and McCoy, neither one of them like to use the transporter. There are other things, I think, that could have been used from McCoy that that kind of folksy down home thing he had going yeah besides the harshness of it i also kind of think about this in the context of crusher that it takes us still a long time before we get any personality traits for beverly crusher too she's pretty flat and i don't know what the show was trying to do at this point i i definitely like the the idea though that they were trying to bring a character with especially female character with some more will or some some more gravitas we have these secondary female characters who just don't bring that much to it including you know who the ones that are still there troy and well troy right, right. troy yeah troy <laughs> but when it's basically when, down to troy and pulaski at this point when the other doctor comes back she still is much the same and i love beverly crusher but this fiery irritated doctor that we have here i i, I can see why they were thinking that way and i like some of it if they just didn't have her do the anti-data stuff, I mean, that would be right. It would just work so much better. I mean, I mean, she's a good actor and she definitely has got a skill set that you don't always see on this show. And, and she is oddly heroic in this episode in the right. sense that she is, you know, she's willing to push the danger boundaries or the boundaries of safety for herself when she's trying to explore the root of this particular problem of this aging. Right. That she really is is hungry for this kind of exploration. She wants to get to know these these genetically enhanced kids and understand them. And she's driven in that way. And that drive is good. Yeah. Right. I, I, I'm totally down with that. We talked about in the neutral zone episode how data becomes a catalyst for certain actions. 
because he brings the sleepers aboard. Okay. And he gets heat from Picard and Riker later because it complicates things. Right. These three sleepers he finds in cryogenic suspension. That's right. And Data will cause other problems like that later on this very season. So this opens up a plot possibility, at least, that, you know, Pulaski can also be somewhat impulsive. And she has this tension with Picard, which is nice. If you go back to, or not go back, actually go forward to first contact, there's that scene, the famous, you know, this far, no father scene where Picard has said, we're going to scuttle the Enterprise and abandon ship. And Lily, Alfre Woodard's Woodard's character, is going to argue with him. Mm -hmm. And Crusher says, you know, when the captain makes a decision, we usually just say, you know, sir, yes, sir, and move on. And she's just, oh, no, we don't, and goes in there. And that, I think, Pulaski is a good character for that, that she's going to go into Picard and she's going to say, no, you're wrong. Right. And here's why. I do like that. And we had a couple scenes they built on that in this episode. We've seen them before have some conflict in the first episode of the season. She's yes. a little she's a little abrasive and, and Picard notes right. that. And then in this episode, we had a really good scene where she's trying to convey to Picard that she needs to unwrap this kid from saran wrap shit that they put him in that's supposedly protecting them from getting the virus on their ship. And he's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And they go back and forth. And it's tense. It's a tense scene because you see them both with their big feelings. And then he kind of reprimands her at the end of the scene for talking over him. And I like that. I, I do wish you'd let me uh, finish my sentences. Yes. It, it would be nice if you'd let me finish a sentence from time to time, which is great because this is what we were railing against in season one where they couldn't figure out how to create tension on the show because they didn't want to have anybody have any gosh darn conflicts with each other on the ship and it's like Riker's so darn agreeable with everybody you know with Kid Cap back backing him up or suggesting something mm-hmm. that's smart Worf's the one that including in this episode Worf's the one that continues to be wrong and you don't have Worf going hey hold on a minute I gotta have an opinion too why yeah. is it that every time I say something it's stupid Captain I would like to be allowed to speak my truth <laughs> But yeah, he says to her, he says, and Dr. God knows that I'm not one to discourage input, but I would appreciate it if you let me finish my sentences once in a while. I like that about her. I I, I like that she's not reverent at Picard, even though we find out later that she's a sort of a weird Picard stalker, (laughs) right? That, that. She's like, what's his name? The, the captain of the other. The repulse. Even though uh, it's like Tanner or something. John Bob Tanner. Some friend of uh, Taggart. It's Taggart. Taggart. Hutman. It's Taggart. When he's talking to Taggart mm. and he says, Taggart says, New Year's service record backward and forward. This Apparently, is... he's kind of an admirer of yours for some time. Taggart's talking about Pulaski, who was his ex medical chief. But that's so officer. weird. I mean, is she on like, you know, Federation Facebook? <laughs> like, you know, Captain Picard, lost crew member to tar pit, feeling down, current mood, is that, melancholy. That's Picard's, like, Tinder page? Is that what's happening? No, not the Tinder page, for God's sake, his <laughs> Facebook page. Okay. But that is a weird moment when... when Pulaski's stalking Picard, is that what you're saying? Yeah, she's stalking Picard. New Year's service record backwards and forwards. Mm. 
you know, and it's like, oh, okay, and 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 spends a lot of time outside your quarters with her stethoscope up against <laughs> the door, right? You know what what is she doing here? I mean, she's just really into him, yeah, which is odd. So it kind of explains her awkwardness because she's like, I want to impress him. I thought she wanted to be on that ship because it had a holodeck with that British dude that she ends up hooking up with the oh Moriarty the Moriarty program. But no, we we find out in this episode it was really that she's got a thing for Picard. It's the other British dude she's after. But my thing is, doesn't Picard get to say who's going to be on his ship? Because he's like, I, I want to get to Noah. Shouldn't you have gotten to know her before you said, come aboard the flagship? <laughs> yeah, like Riker's in there with a bunch of uh, resumes. He's like, okay, all right. <laughs> Next. This one's Dr. Uh, Dr. Pulaski. She's been in Starfleet for 45 years. She's, all right, all right, good enough. Hold on, Jean-Luc. She doesn't like riding in shuttlecrafts. She's got a big boner for holograms. What does it say on LinkedIn, number one? Space LinkedIn. Get her on the Zoom. I'd like to interview her. Honestly, though, I mean, this is like the chief medical officer of right. the, the flagship here. And it seems to me that, that Jean-Luc is like, huh. I wonder what she's all about. Yeah, you hey, think, look who's over here. Yeah, who's like that the, with the orange hair? Well, I'll be. The last time he hired one, he was like, let me find someone. Let me see. Somebody that uh, who, uh, I maybe killed a spouse of. <laughs> Do you have any doctors where I've accidentally killed one of their loved ones? That would be a perfect fit on my ship. Number one, look in my oops file. See if we got anybody in there. But yeah, it, how, it just seems. Could I, could I? How about this, number one? Bring over the doctor whose husband I killed. Let her teenage son come over, and then I'll put them in jeopardy every week. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense, John Luke. Yeah, that, that okay. That when well, you when well, you explain it like that, I don't think he's thinking about it. That's the thing. He's just like, you know, he had what do Terry. You mean he's not thinking about it. How could he not think about it? He had Lois Lane as a transporting operator last, you know, a couple of episodes ago. He's not thinking about that. I don't know. This whole thing, it's really suspicious to me. Oh, I had that pop sound of a beverage. Perrier. Oh wow. Okay, well, don't be shy about it. I mean, we've we've always celebrated it. I've been waiting for an opportunity, but I'm really thirsty. It's hot. By the way, Commander Davy Dave. Okay. We have listeners on six out of seven continents in the world. <laughs> Are you I, aware of this? I. Uh, that's pretty good. I, I think there's people in Antarctica need to get their uh, shit together. Think about all those scientists down there and how many hours they have. And I know they're doing important work and all that, but but think about like how many people do you think are down there? There's a couple hundred people, right? They, they That's a couple hundred hours of recreational time. You can't fit one hour of our show in? Come on, Antarctica. Come on, Antarctica. Get together with some some penguins, maybe a, a puffin, and sit around and crack open an episode of STTNGs. It'll warm yeah, you good. inside and out. <laughs> it will light a fire inside of you. So Picard also has a lot going on in this episode. He's got some serious decisions to make. He's got to weigh a lot of different options, and he's processing information pretty quickly. I'm glad he doesn't stop for a conference every single time. Right. There's a moment that I think is very interesting when Data and Pulaski. So what happens, of course, is they take this kid. They put him on the shuttle. Pulaski's like, you know what? Let's unwrap him. The minute they yeah. unwrap him, she starts aging. Yeah. So Data and Pulaski go down to the Darwin station and Pulaski can't come back. And people on the Darwin station have been exposed to this virus already. So the, the scientists yes. on the station are all aging. The kids 
who are, aren't actually kids. For some reason, they're 12-year-olds, but they look like 20-year-olds. Yes. You've got these giant adult children, and they are the ones that the scientists down on the station want to protect, keep them virus-free. Well, Picard says this really sort of shocking thing. So they're trying to save these kids. They're trying to save the scientists. And then when Data and Pulaski are down there, he's like, Data and Pulaski are now our priority. All right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure those people at Darwin Station, and I'm sure those kids are, are cool and all, but I want my robot, and I want my orange-haired doctor. <laughs> This ship requires one orange-haired doctor. <laughs> it's funny. What do you think he was? He's probably becoming unglued when she was in that shuttlecraft. <laughs> Where's my robot? Worf, bring, bring up that orange-haired dog of yours, Worf. Please, I need something to stroke while I'm waiting for the doctor to return. Those, where are those goddamn golden retrievers, <laughs> Troy? Mr. Worf, <laughs> report to my quarters with the L'Oreal. I'm giving you a rinse. I need to have an orange head on my ship. Captain, don't forget to cut my bangs this time. <laughs> Captain, I haven't established a bleach base yet. I don't think this color will hold. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he puts Data and Pulaski over the other considerations. Yeah, that is interesting. Which I think is an interesting statement. It makes me wonder, too. I was thinking about the Akona episode the other day, and we were talking about how easy it would have been if Worf had just blown up those other ships and shot Akona out the air right. airlock. I mean, maybe that's his thinking. Maybe he's like, listen, <laughs> get Data and Pulaski back, and, you know, maybe we'll lose a few torpedoes at the planet. Problem solved. Uh, this time you're right, Commander Worf. <laughs> this is another Worf episode where he's, Worf doesn't want the kid on the ship. And, and right, this is right. like, when he wanted to abort the fetus of Deanna Troy's in episode one, season two, it's just like Worf has to pipe in with these things that are like, kill it. No, this saran wrap's not going to hold worth shit. <laughs> so they go back down and the rest of the show plays out on the Enterprise. And the animal dare is down on the space station with the rest of the people who've been infected. There's this tension between, you know, what's going to happen to her because she's going to she's aging quickly and she's going to die. And noted I think is that she's probably the oldest member of the next gen crew. I think she's older than Picard. I'm guessing she's aging fast. Thank God they do a much better job with this. I mean, apparently they had used up all the latex in too short a season. So they don't, huh. they don't slather her the way they did Admiral Jameson. It's me. Commander Jameson. Admiral Jameson. You never remember. I'm his, sorry. His rank. You have no respect for rank. Admiral Jameson had that, Remember you had that giant uh, wheelchair or floating hover chair yes, or whatever? the $10,000 chair that didn't fit anywhere. But he's just like piled. They, they just dump a bucket of latex on that yeah. guy. And and fortunately, Diana Mulder, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to see it, already has some, you know, some base to to build on. <laughs> whereas the actor who plays yeah. Commander Jameson was, was like, you know, 16 years uh, old was, or something. It was, it was, was in his early 20s. Role. It's true, yeah. Again, it's hard to make people look old, and they, they do a better job with some people. She already looks old. I mean, she's already an older person. Enjoy Two Short Seasons, one of our... That episode of TNG is so ridiculous. It's it's one of our better episodes. Okay. So she's stuck down there, and they figure out how they're going to get her back, and and... Something really significant, I think, happens here because we get some Miles O'Brien action. Now, we don't know his name is Miles yet, okay. but this is the first time, and this is important Star Trek history because this guy is going to go straight through the DS9, That's and right. he's probably lurking somewhere in the future on Discovery. Who knows? I you hope the so? third season of Picard is just all about 
Picard and O'Brien hanging out together. O'Brien and company. Yeah, so Cole Meany finally, finally gets christened with a name, and yeah. he's finally called Transporter Chief. He's been lurking in the background since Farpoint. Yeah, we were we were excited to see that he was in the actual very first episode, and he's this background character that I don't know if there's any other character that's reappeared from the beginning. I don't think there is. That that Pat Morita's wife didn't come back again, and that no, that, no. Uh, <laughs> The um, Logan and 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 then the dude, the twenty fourth century expert, he hasn't shown up again. Waylon, yeah, 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 Waylon. But 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 Cole Meany, you may remember sitting there, sort of completely oblivious, poking <laughs> at the buttons on the con right. of the battle bridge, like photon torpedoes, photon torpedoes. But here he is as transporter chief. The dude gets lines. I mean, he I gets know. to sit at the conference table, Dave. Yeah, I know. I mean, the guy's a good actor, and I I I mean, hopefully. You know, he got this gig in the first place and they promised him some lines or something at some point. And he really stuck with it, unlike other people. Now here he here he goes and they give him a, they give him a scene. and it, It's good. He's he's he knows what he's doing. And it makes you wonder who the hell hired Terry Hatcher a couple episodes to do the same job that he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> just so that, that just so that the space road could come on and, and, and get it on with her. I mean, well, why couldn't Nakona get it on with uh, O'Brien? And that's totally fine. I mean, we didn't have that kind of a show at that point. But but uh, in, yeah, you got Terry Hatcher and uh, and and. and Terry Hatcher wasn't popping off with lines like this about how how you could use a transporter to re-engineer a human body. But it is nice to to, to finally see him. It, it actually gives something special to this episode, which is not a particularly special episode. Sure. He actually has a specific task. He even has like a little helper. He's got this little helper, and he's like, "Let's get those buffer uh, covers off, right?" And they do it. I don't if you noticed. The guy's supposed to be uh, helping him reprogram the transporter to bring Pulaski up, right? Right. So he's supposed to take these covers off, and they show him, like, reaching for the covers, and he's touching the wall, and he's lingering there because those covers aren't coming off, right? <laughs> so so he's lingering there, and he's like, I didn't. It's just like a beat too long. Uh, can, I, can I go down? No, I'm going to pull this because it's this not to pull off, right? I mean, bitty, it's, it's bitty, bitty. Thank you for him down there. <laughs> Biddy, biddy, biddy. Now what, Comb? What do I do with them now, Comb? Biddy, biddy. Comb. Comb. Dude, dude, that's Colm. the best. That's the best sound I can get with my stupid Californian accent. I can't do stuff like that. <laughs> Comb. Come on. I'm going to have a terrible time if I ever go to England. But let's talk about this transporter because this transporter silliness. It, it is really beyond yes. silliness. We're back, back to it again. Among us when, yeah. when Picard was was possessed by some entity he was out of his mind and he beamed himself out into space space cloud into a space cloud right. and then they beamed him back remember he showed up on the on the screen as a little p so they knew it was him right and they used his pattern in the transporter so the idea is when you transport someone somewhere the the giant computer records your molecular structure and saves it so yes. there's a pattern, so it knows what to do when to when to uh, rebuild you. But, but that's what they did with Picard. They you, rebuilt a Picard, right? But so basically, you don't, don't you're skipping over the most important part. It also destroys you. So it's yes, it's destroying you on one end. I don't know where which part that. I guess it's happening in the ship, 
you're getting obliterated and then you're being reassembled like a new you on the pad on wherever it is. And sometimes, as we saw in this episode, sometimes it's in the very ship that they're in. They're they're transporting within well, the you, ship you, itself. You sound just like Dr. Pulaski with that kind of foolish talk, <laughs> you like Luddite. I, I like the idea that in this future, if you don't want to be zapped around like that, you don't have to be. They're going, all right, just use a shuttlecraft. I think I think if you had that option, there'd be a lot more people taking the shuttle cross around than, than two of our doctors. The thing about the transporter is, once again, it's presented to us as this miracle machine. So it rebuilt Picard out of nothing, right? right. Just a pattern. And yes. it drew energy from somewhere and created matter that was Picard. Now, in this time, they're, they're going to use this DNA to cure Pulaski. So this is this is the part that gets to me. Because okay. essentially the transporter is the fountain of youth. She's old. Right. But we have this strand of DNA in her hairbrush, her Emmy-worthy hairbrush. That's right. That they that they use to rebuild her body. So she doesn't <laughs> have to filter out the disease. Yeah. And they talk about that, that the transporter filter filters out disease. Yeah. So, for instance, if you have cancer. Right. Right? If you had a transporter pattern before you had cancer. Okay. Theoretically, they could clean it out of That's you. right. What if you've been zapped by a, a big black space monster? Why couldn't Yar have been reassembled after she got killed? Why didn't they just beam in the last version of Yar? I thought about that. I mean, yeah. I used time and energy that should have been spent solving real-world problems, figuring <laughs> this one out. And that is that that you know Data had some of her DNA. Well, so Data... But there was no soul. Talking... There's no soul to inhabit the body they rebuild. Well, wait, wait, what the hell? Wait, don't, don't just skip over that. Data and Yara had sex in episode uh, two, right? What about the soul? Like, where do you think the soul is? Like, the soul... You're saying the soul is floating around in space when the body gets reassembled, the soul, like, pops back in? Or is the soul being reassembled too? That's what we were talking about with the lonely among us. Right. That there's energy Picard is out there in that cloud somewhere. So the idea is they're going to build a new body and stick energy Picard in it. Right. I asked then, is energy Picard his soul? Is that what we're talking about? With everything else that's going on, there's absolutely no reason they couldn't bring any dead person back right. simply by using that pattern. And I get it. It's for the plot. I understand. I understand. I, but it's such a, it's it's just like the holodeck being able to destroy the ship. Yeah. It's it, it's one of those giant plot holes. I mean, it is a thing that it disarms you when you're watching the episode because they're they're just assuming that you're gonna take so much of this. And and, I, and at one point I, I said, like, hey, I, I just don't believe it. I, I can't suspend anymore. I just don't believe that they're going to reassemble her like this. And then when they do reassemble her, when she comes back finally, because I, I, I know people don't like us to ruin the endings of these, but Mulder <laughs> does Spoiler alert. Mulder does <laughs> That uh, Dr. Pulaski doesn't die. She gets reassembled and comes back. And, and if people don't know, uh, the actor was on some original series Star Trek shows when she was a, a lot younger. And I thought it would have been really funny if when she was reassembled, she shows up as like the 25-year-old Diana Mulder from <laughs> <laughs> the original series. And Picard's going, holy shit, look at yeah. this will. Oh, oh no, Riker would be all over that. He'd be like... <laughs> 
Uh, Cap, I just stopped thinking about Terry Hatcher being here. And now look at this. <laughs> this doctor's flipping hot. My my thing is, if I ever end up in the 24th century, let's say I get cryogenically frozen, that you, as, as as my friend, do me a favor and I get sick or I die. And yeah. you're like, you know, shit, I got I got some money laying around here. Let me let me go ahead and cryogenically freeze him and shoot him into space. Okay. If that happens, and I appreciate it, by the way, let me thank you ahead of time. I hope you'll also put in like a diaper full of like some DNA of mine or something. Or if, if I was in the 24th century, I would, I would save whatever I had, like my 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 feces or my hair or my skin cells. And I put them in a little box and I would put them somewhere. And then every few years I would just. Hey, could you give me a little freshen? Yeah, could you freshen me up? I like that, but I don't know, understand why feces is the thing that you're using. <laughs> How about like a toenail or something? Like or, yeah, a toenail, I whatever, mean, whatever, feces. man. Whatever's got your DNA. I mean, How much of your DNA, DNA is in your feces for crying out loud? What I don't, I don't know. I'm not a fecophile. I mean, that's something that you'll have to examine <laughs> on your own time. But my point is, I would have some. DNA just like yes. in a bag somewhere. That's a good idea. So, yeah. And then I don't understand why they don't go to like to Picard's hairbrush and just give him a full head of hair again. <laughs> right. That, and I know this is so makes us sound so small to be talking about John Luke's lack of hair. Okay. And I remember seeing oh, him yeah. for the first time and going like, didn't they solve this stuff in the future? You know, he's got some kind of disease that is incurable in the future you know how in these episodes there's always this yeah. convenient like jordy's got something wrong with his yeah, eyes jordy can't, can't see and picard's got like baldness disease wherever right, the hell right. that would be and reva has evolved to have three slaves that speak for him with their minds somehow he can't hear anything but he's got an incredible hair, head of hair and three telepathic slaves let me have some of that hair please the universe giveth i was trying to point out how shallow i was to be obsessed with this thing on the first time through going like i don't get it the guy's bald and it's like come on dave there's some point of this you gotta just say it's science fiction and we're just, right, just not right, gonna right. obsess about stuff like this well and and i gotta tell you with the first time i ever saw patrick stewart with hair i was like that doesn't look right no <laughs> that, that does not look right and i don't know if you've ever seen a bbc miniseries called i claudius and he stars as a Roman soldier, uh, Sejanus, in there. And he's got curly hair. He's got, like, light brown curly hair. And I'm like, oh? He's been bald for so long. I mean, he, it's not even. Oh, yeah. Some people look good bald. He's one of them. Let's just say. Yeah, that. he is. He doesn't. He's not a bad-looking dude. I mean, he was ahead of it. I, I think he did a lot of stuff for bald people. Him and Michael Jordan. Right. Talk about uncomfortable stuff. Because we're talking about how this transporter can create, you know, miracles. Let's yes. talk a little bit about some of the eugenics in the episode here, because our friends at the ironically named Darwin Station, and I guess that's the kind of the red flag. It's Darwin, Darwin Station. Hey, what are you guys doing down there? We're making a master race. <laughs> you know, we're breeding sea turtles down here, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. We're doing some Nazi shit right here, man. You know, it, the way it's framed in the show itself in episode is weird. The way that it's framed, you know, they're so excited about this place and it's so positive. The way the show takes it, it's it's not like it's necessarily something negative, what they're doing to these kids. It's like, well, yeah, in the future, we just bioengineer people. That That's part of it. It happens, man. It's not until we find out that the, that the children themselves are perpetuating the virus or creating the virus. And its response 
and spreading it, that then we start saying, oh, it's not good to engineer people. It's a bad thing now. Don't, don't, no, 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 don't do that. And, and this is a common theme in, in science fiction anyway. You don't mess with, with this notion of e- evolution. The kids are supposed to be the next step in human evolution. Right. So, of course, first of all, they're all white and they're telepathic. Yeah, white. Which is nice. I mean, they make them telepathic so they don't have to pay them for speaking parts, right? They can pay them less because they're non-speaking actors. Great Bird, can you get the Great Bird on the phone, please? I've got a genius idea. We get like five or six kids, including one of them that's going to have actual like three scenes of screen time. And and these jokers, we're not going to have to pay the guild a penny. Uh, Yes, I'm uh, I'm Marilla Sirtis' other manager. Uh, do, do I, I have some other clients. I can't do it. I don't remember it. <laughs> I don't remember how it goes. <laughs> it was good. Maury, where are you? Channel Maury. your inner Maury. I have to listen to it again because I don't remember oh, it. Oh, man. All right, do the second guy. I have some other clients, uh, young, healthy, strapping people, and they just want to get a break. They want to get some credits. You don't have Hold to pay for speaking. Are they white? Oh, gosh, yes. Thing is, you get paid different amounts of money based on whether you speak on screen, on film, on TV. And it's a big deal because you have to be in the Screen Actors Guild to be on TV and to be in movies. You have to be in the guild. And to do that, you have to be on camera with a speaking part for a certain amount of time. Like you have to have X number of uh, minutes per year to to keep it up. So when when you have people like this where they don't get to speak and they just... And it's mainly the one kid, the one 12 year old kid, Bo, I think was his name. And they. It wasn't Bo, was it? He actually has a scene where he's communicating with Mulder and, and there's no lines. Does he have a name? I don't know. What was also, I thought, interesting in that scene, too, because they wake up this kid on the shuttlecraft that we talked about this before when she gets infected. When they wake him up and he's he starts communicating, he cannot communicate with data. So they can only. You right, can, right. Exactly. You can't have um, mind language with um, telepathy with uh, a robot, I guess. So the kids. Okay. They, they have this aggressive immune system, right? And like we said, we do, you don't mess with evolution, Jurassic Park. You, you don't do it. It's not a good idea. But we also have precedents in, in Star Trek history, right? Khan. Khan was genetically engineered, and right. that was a huge problem. That's why they put him in that damn Botany Bay and shot his ass in his face, <laughs> because he was trying to take over that, the world. Yeah, the whole planet he was trying to take over. Yeah. Yes, they're like, okay, you know, uh, let's uh, let's try that again, shall we? It's funny. I don't know if it's just it was economy on this show. Like in this episode, I just wonder if they were just trying to do too much. I mean, you would think that if with a little bit more planning they would have had this be like a rogue operation or something it's starfleet it's secret what they're doing yes right 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 i mean a little more dialogue maybe a couple lines of dialogue you could have created that and they should have because it would have made it make more sense because they're working out the conflict later on where you know picard doesn't like this and the message is very clear yeah you don't you don't do this you don't mess around with evolution because look what happens, you know, right. again, with these plots where it's solved in such a clunky way, it's obvious what's happening. You don't want to believe it's the kids, but there's nothing else. So then you're like, well, doesn't it have to be the kids that are spreading the disease? Right, and- right. It's it's the extraordinary thing. There's one extraordinary thing. It's these kids must be them. It is very clunky. I mean, it speaks to other things. Yeah. We've seen this like in Loud as a Whisper, we were talking about how they deal with disability because 
Certainly, they're stunned by this notion of sign language. You know, Riva is unique for his his situation with lack of hearing. Jordy is unique for his inability to see. And then we also heard this injustice with this idea that they they breed out the impulse to commit crime. Right. And now, of course, we have a transporter that could, you know, and maybe yeah. it could also root out the impulse to commit crime. <laughs> maybe that's what they do. They beam you to a ship. And they they pluck it out. Right. There is some weird undercurrent of genetic manipulation in in the Federation. It is kind of lazy. Should they shouldn't they have been like, what the hell are you doing? Right. It, you yet, can't do that. I think the show is working with this kind of bias about what they think the future is going to be like. And I don't think they've thought it through very well at this point. They're, they don't want to say this, but what they're saying is in the future, people are going to be so much more perfect than they are now. And to be perfect, you have to be, you have to not have disabilities. You have to, you know, not have disease. You have to ha- not have hair, apparently. You you have to be the certain kind of person that they're projecting this in the future. It's not really necessary to do that. Like, why why can't this be a show like other science fiction shows where people in the future, we just assume that they're like us. Like we don't know what people in the future are going to be like. They're probably a lot like us. If you look at people in the past and the way people used to live and you look at old cities and, and you, and you, and you, anybody that's, you know, read a history book, you look at that and go, wow, people from a few hundred years ago or thousands of years ago, weren't that much different than we are. Right. I mean, they're pretty much like us. They just showed up at the wrong time in history. It's it's a weird assumption. It's a weird thing to put on the show about this future perfectionism. And then at the same time, they'll warn us about it, too. Like, oh, see, you shouldn't have tinkered with these kids. I don't care if they can levitate uh, chess pieces. And that which is a dumb thing to do anyway. I mean, why would you do that? It's just so much simpler to anyway. How can you be that fit? Those young white kids were so fit. Uh, young white adults were so fit. Yes. How can you be fit like that if you um, don't have to lift a finger? If you can uh, lift up chess pieces with your mind? I mean, come on. It's laziness. This this strange aspirational future, right? This strange, hopeful future that Trek presents does mm. have some questions that need to be answered. And I want to be clear about this. And I, I don't think you do either, that the Federation is somehow like tinkering with everyone that lives, you know, they're okay with certain things, but it seems that some of the things they're not okay with that breeding out the impulse to commit crime was a line dropped in an episode that clearly doesn't bear out as the show continues. Right. And, and you have human conflict. The disability question does sort of haunt us in, in some ways because of the extraordinary nature of Jordy. Right. That right. he is not like one of many people who are dealing with with other situations. And of yeah. course, obviously, Riva. I don't know. The, the the show has a weird sense that, you know, in the future, everything is going to be great. And being great means. Right. Not 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 being a Klingon, but uh, being a you know perfect human. Right. And there's one thing that stood out for me, too. All right. And that was Wesley. I, I got we got to go back to Wesley. We haven't talked about Wesley. Mr. Crusher. And he's just kind of sitting there. This this episode, I think we see him like maybe two, three times. Right. He's just sitting there in his seat. Oh, yeah, I'll go over here. I'll get the ship over there. Warp 7, no problem. He just got this goofy look on his face. He doesn't do anything. And I wonder about that. I mean, do they call him up and they say, listen, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Wheaton, we're, we're going to need you on the set today. And what we're <laughs> going to need you to do, just kind of sit there and look like you're driving. You know, so then he sits there. 
Yeah, well, okay, cut. You can go home now, sir. I mean, is there any... But this, it's just so weird. It is, but this is the kind of stuff that we would complain about in the first season that you would have these characters just be non-existent in an episode. Like, where's like all of a sudden it's it's a it's a it was a completely Wesley-less episode. Where's Wesley? Yes. Where is he now? And then you have to suppose right. where he is, or Troy just disappears for an episode here or there. And it's like, don't you need the counselor in there? And they didn't know how to populate the scenes with these people, even if they had nothing to do. I mean, I kind of like just seeing him in there. Just sitting there, because then it makes me feel like, okay, Wesley really does exist on this ship. He really is just there. But maybe he seems... doesn't. Maybe he's not a genius in every every episode. Maybe this is just a slow week for his genius mind. Don't you think that would make him nervous? Don't you think these master race kids would make him nervous? Oh, right, right. Because his whole thing is that he's the he's a special little fella. It, yes, he's a genius. The traveler comes in. He goes. He's like your Mozart. Right. But what if all of a sudden there's like a planet full of little Mozarts? Here they are. They're 12 years old. By the time they get your age, Wesley, and let's say Wesley's 15, you know, I mean, they're already levitating things with their heads. That's true. With their brain. Hey, guys. (laughs) You could have gone down there and visited them like you did on the Justice Planet. Hey, guys, I I know you can move shit with your minds, but have you ever played a game? It's called uh, uh, baseball. Use a stick and a ball. And yeah, you whack it around. Remember that? That's when he fell in that planter box. Remember he was running around with those yeah, yeah. half-naked uh, teenagers? And and he uh, put his ass in the planter box? Like, you know, they made him an ensign, right? And like all right. these other people who are like, oh, come on. I've been working to be an ensign. You're just going to make him an ensign? But, you know, what if suddenly all those kids came on board? Right. And they're hey. like, yeah, I'm not only an ensign. I'm a lieutenant. I'm an acting lieutenant commander, you know? I, I'm I'm running the ship now. I'm separating the saucer with my brain. Yeah, that's an episode right there. That's what we should have had. Those kids come and hijack the ship and they have to they have to, God forbid, fight them and get them to get them off the bridge. Or Wesley but can it'd be great if the traveler if the traveler came back and said, right. you know, like, I have to tell you, Captain Wesley, eh, not so much anymore. <laughs> now these eugenic kids, this master race. This is something I'm into. You know, why Why doesn't that happen? You didn't tell me about the space station with the Aryans on it in Sector <laughs> 5. <laughs> then there's that weird moment where they blow the, they blow the land yeah. tree up again at the end. Can you give us a little Trek history on what the land tree, what model of ship the land tree is? Oh, it's a modified version of the same ship that the Reliant was. So in 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 uh, Wrath of Khan, yes. you know Khan steals uh, a starship, takes a, a hijacks a starship, and it's the Reliant. And the Lantry is the same model, only without. Um, I don't know how to explain it. On the Reliant, there's a little um, bar on the top where yeah. the photon torpedoes essentially are located. The photon torpedo launcher. And it's right. not there on the land tree. Oh, I didn't um, notice that. We're told there's detail. 26 people on the land tree. We're told it's just kind of like some sort of cargo vessel or something. And I saw it and I thought to myself, wait a minute. Isn't that the Reliant? But then, you know, when I was doing some reading, I was like, oh, it's a kind of Reliant-esque only without the weapons on top. Because they even say it doesn't have a lot of defensive capability. So it's kind of like when you buy a car and there's different trim levels. Yeah. In, instead of getting the, the the Toyota Corolla with, you know, like the Bose sound system and the backup yeah. camera and the, and the floor mats, right? It's always the floor mats. They, get, they got the, the Reliant without the floor mats or the photon torpedo launcher. 
Yeah, that would suck. Like, I, I, yeah, yeah, sign me up. I want to be a captain of a ship that doesn't have a lot of weapons on it. That's a great career move for me. Like, why wouldn't they all have the same amount of weapons on them when you're going out into space unless you don't need weapons, right? You know, when you, when you, when you have a car and it, it you're, yeah. you're inside, I've had plenty of these cars, folks, where mm. it has a little plastic thing where there's supposed to be a button. Oh, yes. The, oh, this is, this is supposed <laughs> to be where the seat heater button would go, right. or this is where the cruise control, and instead you just got this little plastic. Plug. I just imagine the Lantry's filled with plugs. <laughs> it's mean. If you only had a little more money, look at the kind of car you could have had. There's some winner driving around a car just like this, but it's got a cigarette lighter in the spot. We have the same car. Let me borrow you. Oh, wait a minute. Where's that? Where's my seat <laughs> eater button? What is it? Oh, you just have an AM FM? That's great. The Lantry definitely does not have a holodeck on it. And it just has AM FM radio. You know right. that, right? No satellite radio. Only the AM works, though. That's the problem. It only gets news. It only gets talk radio. It only gets space Rush Limbaugh. Dear listeners, I mean, people on six continents. Yes. Wow. We we really have. I, I, I think we have made quite a bit of hay oh. out of what I have to say, in the end, is a pretty boring episode. You know, again, the plot is, is pretty clunky. It It opens doors. It has no desire to walk through. It makes some weird implications about eugenics. But at the same time, we get to know Dr. Pulaski just a little bit better. We learn to open our heart up a little bit more for Pulaski. Picard hugs Pulaski. But he hug. does hug her, and he does he does kind of half-embrace Data, too, which I thought was, was cool. He's very happy to see Data. Is this our first Picard hug? Has Picard hugged anybody else? No, you know that's a good point. I don't think I don't think he's hugged anybody so far. No, he's not a hugger. He doesn't strike me as a hugger. Did he and uh, Bev get frisky in that that episode too? The naked now. No, they never. They never. As far as we know, they never uh, experienced coitus. Oh well, not coitus. I'm just talking about touching, like a hug. Or oh, a... oh, I don't know. Heavy coitus. Petting? Are you talking about second base? Space coitus. What do you think second base is in space? What are you talking about? Okay, I'm trying to wrap this fucking thing up, but I swear to I'm God, waiting. you're killing me. I'm waiting. And believe it or not, you've been listening to yet another episode of STTNGs. Not another Star Trek podcast. And before we go, I just thought of something else I wanted to not say. Not another one. Our next two episodes are hard. Core. These are really, really good episodes. Are you kidding? No. Our very next episode, A Matter of Honor, where Riker goes aboard a Klingon ship. Oh. It's the return of a Benzite. I'm very excited uh, about it. Yes, we got our Benzite. And then following that, of course, is the classic uh, The Measure of a Man, where the discussion of, of Data's personhood Mm. Uh, and, of course, the route to the entire first season of Picard comes out of that particular episode. Please join us next time as we Tune talk in. about a matter of honor. And until then, I will remain ever loyal, your ambassador, Andrew, friend. And with me will be Commander Davey Dave. Thank you. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Thanks for listening, folks. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Let's go mind the store. Hey, this is your favorite entity telling you to listen to your favorite podcast. STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Bigger, bigger, bigger. I'll listen right away, Buck. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Get ready as Dave and Andrew experience a little 
cultural exchange. They eat reconstituted shit. Right. They get those little cards out. They right. stick them in a slot, and and the, and whatever you just flushed is now coming back to you as a pot roast. How about a steaming plate full of gawk as we get to know the Klingons? Yeah, like goddamn the Klingon scene. fisticuffs, and it's scene. great because you're like, oh wow, Riker can beat up a Klingon. If you like Will Riker. This episode will be number one. <laughs> there you go. That's good. <laughs> That's so and don't forget the Benzite. He was an unusual looking character. He has kind of a, a catfish thing coming off his face. He's got like extra long pinkies for no reason. The boys will talk about Klingon home decor and cuisine. And instead of him like running to the bathroom after the scene and puking it all out, he is just delighted by shoving this stuff in his mouth and hey don't forget about me armis shows up meet you on the phaser range this exciting episode of sttng's not another star trek podcast Captain, I haven't established a bleach base yet. I don't think this color will hold. <laughs>